Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. In this episode, HBW Insight catches up with IQVIA Consumer Health's Vice President of Global Consulting Services, Amit Shukla, to find out how the global consumer healthcare market is doing as it comes out of the pandemic. It's good news, Shukla reveals, based on the firm's latest intelligence. The market grew double digits in 2022 and is predicted to grow between 5 and 6% per year in the future, even faster if we see some of the innovative switches currently in the pipeline succeed. Looking ahead, Shukla points to artificial intelligence, sustainability and popular wellness ingredients as trends to watch that will drive future market growth. Good morning, Amit. Nice to uh, have you on the Over the Counter podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you very much. Um, would you like to just quickly introduce yourself um, and also IQVIA Consumer Health? I'm sure um, all of our listeners are already familiar with um, yourself and IQVIA, what they do, but uh, it's always good to have a, an introduction. Sure. Happy to. Um, so as you know, I mean, Consumer Health at IQVIA is a separate business unit by itself. It's probably the only life sciences consulting or data analytics firm that has its own separately carved out uh, consumer health business unit. Um, I think that's a testament of the work we do with different consumer health industry giants, but also um, the contribution and the business we can provide both on the data as well as analytics and consulting side. Um, As part of my role in the consumer health GBU, I lead the consulting services practice, uh, vice president for that, uh, based out of the US, but pretty much traveling globally and currently talking to you, David, from Lisbon where I'm actually here to address and be a keynote speaker for one of the top five uh, consumer health players in Europe. So really happy to be on the call today. Thank you. And my background in the industry, I've worked for about 15 years with Novartis Consumer Health and with GSK Consumer Health, and then joined IQVIA uh, right in the middle of COVID about two, two and a half years back. Yeah, it's really great to have you on. It's been really nice to uh, also to see IQVIA Consumer Health grow. Uh, I remember, as you say, when you created the the separate business, I think that was an exciting time for um, consumer health industry to have our own, you know, specific, like you say, specific uh, kind of provider of intelligence. Um, so I'm, I assume that's going very well from what I can see. Yeah, no, we can't complain. I think uh, there's a lot we can do and consumer health as an industry has done really well through the three years of COVID and coming out on the other side of COVID, um, consumer health is doing even even much better. So we're really excited. Some categories up, some categories down, but overall um, the pace of growth and the change in the industry has just been very, very vibrant. And we're not seeing that just in Europe, we're seeing that in China, in the US and globally as well. So yeah, we um we've been speaking to a variety of industry stakeholders um, over the last couple of months about what they see coming up in 2023 and beyond. Um, so we're interested to hear your views, uh, given IQVIA Consumer Health's overview. Um, but I don't know if you want to start with just, uh, you know, as you mentioned, some reflections on 2022, um, what the market did uh, globally, any kind of highlights 
uh, or interesting trends that you saw that might also be good context for the years ahead? Yeah, um, I'm happy to. Um, so if you look at the consumer health industry in 2022, it's been a record year. Um, not because of all the changes that happened in the industry, but from a purely performance, uh, sales, bottom line, top line, it's been a phenomenal year. Um, we just got last week or about 10 days ago, the full year 2022 data compiled for the entire globe and consumer health industry grew at about 10.4%. So that's that's phenomenal. I mean, we were expecting some slowdown in quarter four because going into quarter four, the industry was growing at about 9.6%. But quarter four, uh, as you know, US and Europe had a very big uh, flu season. And so quarter four also came out really strong. And when you look at that growth of 10.4%, that's probably higher, the highest ever in the last 20 years. I mean, the closest we've come to a 10.4% growth in 22 was like 8% in 2016, 2017. So this is just a testament of how strong um, the market has performed, how important self-care has become for people and how they are taking charge of their health and really looking for the right products and not waiting for the government or the health system to really help them out. And um, that gives us a lot of confidence because um, the growth is not coming from just one category. It's coming broad based. So if you go back two years, three years, you know, during 2020 and 2021, the industry did not slow down. You know, we were growing at seven, eight percent. Um, and that was because vitamins and supplements were doing really well at that time. Um, people did not have access to any protection from COVID. Um, vaccines were still not out or not fully distributed. So people were taking a lot of vitamins and supplements. Now, certainly at that time, there was lockdowns as well. And because of that, categories like pain um, and cold and flu were not doing as well. But a lot of that slack was being picked up by vitamins and supplements. So there was a time in 2020 and 2021, vitamins was growing in double digits and cold and flu and pain were not doing as well and were in low single digits. But then as vaccination picked up and the economies reopened in the second half of 2021 and through all of 2022, um, we saw two things happening. One is all the categories that had slowed down during COVID came back. Uh, second thing that happened is um, in the demand supply gap. So there was not enough raw material to produce all the medicines. There was not enough product on shelf and there was inflation in every aspect of the supply chain, including retail. So that allowed the consumer health companies to also take price increases to be able to balance their books, manage the cost and still maintain margin. And in that environment, the 10.4% growth in 22 included uh, both volume increase, but also um, pricing increase. Now, going into 23, it would be a slightly different picture. Because remember, in the backdrop of all of this, the conflict in Russia and Ukraine is still going on. So Europe is suffering as impact from that. You've got lockdown in China last year. You've got slowdown in the US because of interest rates as well. But through all of that, um, consumer health companies, because of the power of their brand, were able to pass on the price increases to customers and the consumers and shoppers picked it up. 
that's a great overview thank you very much um and yeah 10 percent you know double digit growth is um is incredible isn't it um so just to see if i understand it right so are we saying basically that the some of the trends that came out in the early kind of covid periods especially towards prevention i.e supplements um you know this kind of aspect of preventative self-care that's continued essentially uh, maybe not quite at the rate that it was but or maybe it is you can say uh, but also the traditional categories and the traditional role of um you know otc products that treat a condition or a, an ailment like cough and cold pain etc those have come back so you've got these two uh, kind of a newer and a, an existing driver coming together to create that strong growth is that is that something like what's happening oh yeah that's that's fair i i think some categories that really did very well during the peak of covid have slowed down because again remember it's very obvious if you were growing at a certain point at the peak of COVID when there was so much fear in the market and people were worried about protecting themselves from COVID and not getting infected. So some of that slowdown has certainly happened because we know that vitamins and supplements are typically used by about one third of the population. Now, during the peak of COVID, almost that number had just doubled. So people were buying whatever vitamin was available. I mean, vitamin C, vitamin B, some multivitamins. They were out of stock for months on end, weeks on end, um, and there was not enough supply. But all of that has gone away as people have got vaccinated. So, But the categories like pain, respiratory, these who were, who were suffering because of lockdowns have now picked up. Um, certainly another category that still has not come back to its full potential is skincare because we've had two pretty rough um, summer seasons uh, because people have not been able to travel, people have not been able to go out of their homes, um, but now things will change in 23 as well. So we're very hopeful that skin will also pick up. Um, some categories have not slowed down since COVID times is like digestive. I mean, people are eating in, people are eating more healthy, people are taking care of their gut, and that's a very positive sign. And there we are seeing that the digestive category is still holding up on its COVID levels in terms of growth. And there's a lot of innovation happening in the category as well, both from large and small players. That's great. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more about um, innovation and also ingredients uh, in a minute. Um, so you mentioned as 23 goes into 2020, uh, 22 goes into 23, you know, some of the um, kind of major factors influence the industry have continued and there are some new ones on the horizon how do you see this year shaping up in terms of threats and opportunities sure so i think we'll see some elements that will carry over from last year so and some new elements that will get added so when we look at what's driving the consumer health industry um we certainly see innovation picking up so last year, innovation was already starting to pick up compared to 20 and 2021. Um, so certainly there will be an acceleration in innovation, new product launches, uh, new flankers, new line extensions, um, new brand campaigns, um, new launches into new markets of current brands. So that is something that we will see from all consumer health companies. Uh, second, we will see 
is um, a slowdown in e-commerce because people are starting to go about and really visit their pharmacies in person. So there will be a stabilization on the e-commerce front. So that stabilization will not result in a reduction, but it will result in quality over quantity. So there'll be a more focus on quality and what type of products really do well on e-commerce, what type of marketing and personalization you can do through e-commerce. So companies are gonna get smarter about leveraging e-commerce versus throwing everything possible on the wall. Um, third thing that we will see is um, certainly a slowdown in M&A activity uh, because the cost of money has gone up significantly. So in that environment, we will see lesser deals, though we could be wrong. Yes, yesterday uh, there was a big deal announced by Pfizer where they're buying um, another pharmaceutical company for about $43 billion. So we know that pharmaceutical M&As are not slowing down yet. Um, in consumer health, also we could be proven wrong, but our current expectation is um, 23 would see less action in terms of M&As compared to 22 and 21. A fourth thing that I think is going to be very important is sustainability. So that's a new trend that clearly our consumers and shoppers are demanding, and they're expecting companies to sort of match up their expectations. Um, so every consumer health company is going to look at how can they do more than just recycled packaging and bring in um, new ways of communicating sustainability, recycling, collecting of bottles, you know, figuring out how to really get pills out of blisters and, and giving the consumers a way of uh, achieving their goals on sustainability and helping the environment um, in the best possible manner. So a lot of action going on in that space across every consumer health firm. Every firm is calling it out in their value statement as well, in their strategy as well. And they know that the consumers are telling them that, you know, bring me sustainable products. I am willing to pay a slightly higher premium for those as well. Um, so that's that's another trend that you'll see in 23. Um, one more trend that will continue from last year is digitization. So digital in clinical trials, digital in commercial, digital in supply chain, digital in data analytics, that's something that's not going to slow down. I think with the advent of chat GPT and the multiple uses of that, um, that's something has even piqued the interest even further for 23. And all consumer health companies realize that digitization, uh, use of artificial intelligence, machine learning through the entire value chain of a consumer health firm is absolutely required. That investments will not slow down. Again, they will see more quality over quantity, and, uh, and that's good. We appreciate that, and we really respect that, and IQVIA is well-placed to really help companies sort of push forward on their digitization journey and really be stronger digital partners. That's a great overview again. And what, but what about also inflation um, and some of the supply chain issues we're seeing at the moment, for example, around um, paracetamol, ibuprofen? You know, the inflation is still there, um, and that is going to all that is already having an impact on on companies, as you mentioned before, in terms of pricing, but also in in terms of consumers are now thinking about, you know, where what they should buy, how much they should spend, and maybe. I mean, are, are you starting to see consumers turning towards maybe private label more or generic alternatives? So consumers are in a tough spot. So 
Last year, they couldn't get enough of product. Then when they could get enough of product, it was at higher price across categories. You talk food, automotive, um, CPG, consumer health, pharmaceuticals. So in that environment, um, what we are noticing is that uh, the consumer has become a little bit more sharper in terms of the choices he's making. You know, so he's not just blindly buy your brand. Your brand needs to have a value for him. It has to have an experience for him. It has to have a claim for him. You know, he's he's got smarter about the choices because his money has not grown at the same rate at which inflation has grown. So in real terms, his money has gone down. So uh, if you expect him to blindly buy your brand, that's not going to happen. You have to really give him the right value, experience, choice, innovation, and availability and visibility as well for him to make that choice. Um, Certainly in 23, inflation, we expect to continue tapering down, but interest rates will remain high. So it's a it's a tough situation from a consumer shopper perspective. Um, in consumer health, we are not seeing supply issues now. So supply issues have pretty much gone away, both on the API side as well as manufacturing and conversion side. Um, if there are issues, those are like 10, 20% of what they were back in 2021 and 22. So clearly supply is not a constraint, but value, experience, and giving a reason to buy to consumers is absolutely top of mind at this point. Um, do we expect this to change over the next couple of years? I think the consumers will remain um, sharper about their choices. Still, we are not seeing in consumer health ca categories and brands any type of trading down to private label or store brands. But if the pricing... Uh, continues to elevate, inflation does not come down, and the conflict continues, then uh, certainly towards the second half of 23, we could see some trading down. But still, we are not seeing trading down in consumer health categories. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also check out HBW Insight at hbw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all the latest health, beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening, this episode continues now. You also mentioned uh, M&A activity. It's interesting what you said about the price of um, money. Um, so, you know, finance, et cetera, being more expensive uh, for companies. But we're obviously seeing a, a, a quite, you know, a significant change in the way that the industry, the shape of the industry with, with companies spinning out. And there's lots of uh, speculation about, you know, different companies buying each other's consumer healthcare businesses, et cetera. How does how does that factor that you mentioned influence that? Um, you know, we we are going to see J and J's consumer healthcare business spinning out soon, um, and we're still hearing about the possibility of other big, you know, pharmaceutical industry consumer healthcare businesses becoming independent. What does that look like in the next couple of years? Do you think? Yeah, I think those are very very good choices that the parent pharma companies have made. Uh, they've finally sort of listened to their consumer health arms 
and given them a way to chart their own destiny. So uh, the formation of uh, Halion, the formation of Kenview, the formation of Opella by Sanofi, uh, these are all steps in the right direction. Um, I personally think that this will be very, very helpful for the industry to really chart their own finances, develop their own innovation pipelines, not get constrained by the environment and the group choices that the pharma company group makes. And they, even though they will be small, they have the opportunity now to be more agile, more nimble, and be more speedy to market. So this, these are all good steps, but certainly these are not M&As yet. Yes, because these are uh, these are separations from the company and they are floating them as separate companies. Interesting would be to see is how the share price does for these new floats. Um, do they go above their book price or their listing price and stay there and are able to generate more value for their shareholders? That's where they'll have to really work hard on innovating, on getting the right price points, entering the right markets, and making the right choice in terms of where to play and how to win. Um, but certainly, we do have a challenge in the consumer health industry where the top 10 players only control about 27% of the market. If you look at any other industry, automotive, cell phones, you know, industrials, uh, top 10 players typically have about 50, 60% share. Um, so there is a lot of opportunity for consolidation in consumer health. And I say that boldly, um, but certainly um, 23 might not be the right time for it. But come 24, 25, as interest rates sort of slide down a little bit, um, cost of money becomes cheaper. Um, that that game will be on. And what do you, I was wondering um, what you thought this trend would do to switch because you know switch is something that um, relies on a you know pharmaceutical company having uh, medicines that are off patent that it, it wants to extend uh, lifetime for as an OTC product. Does the separation of of those two parts of the industry make that more difficult? No, I don't think so. I mean, I give you an example. I worked on a switch for Ally, which was a product that was owned by Roche, but then Novartis switched it. You know, or you know, GSK switched it. So they there have been switches like that where the product, the original prescription product, is owned by another pharmaceutical firm and it licenses out that product to a consumer health firm to be able to switch it. Um, very good example of that is J&J giving their Nicorette brand back in the 90s to switch in the US to GSK Consumer Health, now Helion. So these some of these switches have been really successful and have not been part of the same parent company where the pharma unit and the consumer health unit reside separately. Actually, I personally feel that the switch environment will get more activated and more heated up because now the parent pharma company, if it has an asset, and it doesn't have to give it to the consumer health arm of its own group company. It can go and bid it out. And different consumer health companies can come and bid for it, including REC. It does, doesn't have a pharmaceutical arm. Um, and they could bid for it. Uh, that would create even more value, more intense competition, and potentially better commercial excellence as well. And like you say, with, uh, with the spin-out companies having to prove their value, we're probably going to see a lot more innovation anyway. Oh, absolutely. And and you know that switches can be two, three, four hundred million quickly 
you know, you create a brand from scratch in any other category, um, you don't get to two, three hundred million dollars in sales in less than five, seven years. But with a switch, you already have the latent equity in the doctor's offices with the patients as well. And when you switch a molecule like that, like in the past, we've seen Voltaren switch in the US, we've seen Flonase in the US, uh, we are now seeing Astapro from Bayer in the US. So certainly the environment is heating up and companies are seeing this as a step change opportunity. Get two, 300 million more in their top line in one year's time by doing a switch. Yes, switches are not easy. They require investment, they require time, they require commitment and effort. But if you do that right and you build a expertise around it, you really can step jump your revenue very quickly in key markets. So we're basically looking at an exciting few years coming up then probably. Absolutely. I think um, we are predicting that 23 to 25, the consumer health industry should be growing at about 7% on an average, a um, little bit down in 23, like 5, 6%, but then picking back up 6, 7. And if we get a couple of switches that are currently in play from different companies, you know, that 7% could easily be breached. And, um, and on top of it, don't forget the opportunity to expand a lot of our brands and products from especially these newly formed companies in consumer health across so many global markets where they're currently not present. So internationalization, globalization, you know, global brands and new markets, uh, switch opportunities, digital creating new opportunities for new brands and entrepreneurs. I think um, the opportunity is humongous. Um, 7% is what we are predicting, but we'd love to be wrong on the higher side. Um, that's great. So very optimistic there. Um, I just wanted to pick up on a couple of other trends. Um, so sustainability, you mentioned. Um, we, you know, we really saw that uh, a couple of years ago coming up, and then there was a lot of activity, and there's still a lot of activity, but it seems to have um, slowed down a bit. And I'm wondering also um, whether that opportunity is turning more. Um, maybe threats, not the right word, but you know, turning into something that looks more like uh, regulation uh, and a lot of it, especially, for example, in the European Union um, for industry now. Uh, what do you think about that in terms of uh, the kind of risk benefit uh, situation with sustainability now for companies? Yeah, I think uh, so compare sustainability to the EV revolution. You know, I mean, pe people didn't even know what EV stood for five years ago. Now you see in some countries in Europe, there are more electric cars being sold every month than gas cars. Um, you see the performance of Tesla and Ford and other companies coming into the EV space and the amount of investment that is happening in EV. So sustainability in consumer health and in pharmaceutical space is where maybe EV revolution was in 2010. So it will take time, but it is moving in the right direction. Companies acknowledge and understand that their consumers, their shoppers are caring for the environment and they want that it is not just the government's job to create regulations, but it is the job of large companies, multinationals to also play their part. And if we don't play our part in that, we will be penalized. Our brands would be considered pariahs by these consumers and shoppers that today love us. So we know that our end game is to be more sustainable. Um, some, some companies like in skincare, 
they're absolutely making phenomenal effort in terms of driving safe sourcing of raw materials, safe manufacturing practices, uh, safe farming practices, really calling it out on packaging as well. Because in skincare and dermatology, the consumer is even more ahead. And maybe, I, I don't know, I don't want to sound sexist, but maybe more women buy those products and women are more amenable to sustainability than men. But in the whole, the population across all age groups is moving towards sustainability, is towards driving for better, safer sourcing, safer production, safer manufacturing, and less impact and carbon footprint on the environment. So it is it is a one-way street. Consumer health companies have to play their role. Some will be faster, some will be slower, and some categories will move faster in sustainability than other categories. But eventually it's very clear. We're seeing rising sea levels, melting glaciers, you know, rain in the wrong parts of the country, you know, snow in the wrong parts of the country. I mean, no snow in and no water in uh, canals in Venice. I mean, this can't continue for long. We've come, consumers are worried and they want companies to play their role. Yeah, I agree. And then related to this, of course, is uh, digital. Um, it seems to me, from writing a bit about artificial intelligence, for example, that um, regulators have got a bit of catching up to do with um, with innovation. I think more in the med tech side than consumer health, but um, in there I think re regulation is more required to create the kind of um, environment in which um, you know consumer health could really innovate. Um, so yeah, I mean, how do you see that artificial intelligence trend coming in? Because I don't think it's really there in in industry yet? See, um, the, always with these technologies, the first thing you see is internal adoption. And that internal adoption a lot, lot of times is not visible outside. So when I look at companies and we work with several of these consumer health players, they are using artificial intelligence um, and digital tools for doing clinical trials, for generating new claims. Um, for even doing work on their RX2OTC projects to say, look through real-world evidence and data. Then on the commercial side, we are seeing a lot of these companies are leveraging our conversational AI tools and our bots uh, in their contact centers. Also for pharmacovigilance activities, as well as for taking uh, questions from customers as well and consumers. So there's a lot of work that's happening in the background. Maybe we're not doing a very good job of marketing all the artificial intelligence and machine learning tools that consumer health industry is using today, but there's a lot going on across the entire value chain. Um, certainly, um, a lot of that is not visible or transparent enough to the shopper and consumer yet, but gradually you will start seeing. I was just in Japan and you could actually walk into a into a nice shopping mall and you can actually do a skin test right there because of an AI driven machine. You put your face there, it tells you what your physical, you put in your physical age and it tells you what your skin age is. So that's starting to happen already. So no interaction required with a attendant or a store manager and you can do a lot of work. They all, the system also throws out to you what is the potential skincare products that's best for you. And then you connect with a, um, a retail person to really buy the right products at the right price. So lots happening at the consumer shopper end. I mean, 
you can see in all the e-commerce, a lot of e-commerce targeting is happening to all of us in terms of what ads we get um, because you're searching for a certain product. So that is artificial intelligence in the background that is basically now personalizing the slew of ads that you get. If you looked for vitamins and supplements product on a particular website, 10 minutes later, I promise you, Google will be sending you stuff. And similarly, when you go on Amazon the next time, you will see a banner ad on the side talking about vitamins and supplements. All of this is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Humans could not process all that information from 10 minutes ago and be able to provide you with an ad that's served directly only to you and not to me. That all is happening because of artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, when we think about, uh, you know, health tech or, you know, digital health, we're thinking about apps, wearables. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's maybe uh, those two things aren't going together so much at the moment in terms of products, although we are seeing some really interesting uh, products, uh, for example, the Nicorette Smart Track. Uh, yep. and, and I think you'll see more more products that are supported by digital health. Um, but yeah, maybe like you say, it's it's the infrastructure where it's really making a difference at the moment. Yeah, a lot a lot of consumer healthcare um, AI and machine learning applications will be software related. I mean, so I think sometimes people get caught up on the hardware side that we'll see iWatches type more devices. Maybe we'll not see more of those. There are a few devices like Cardia and others, but um, you won't see too many devices, but you'll see a lot of software applications. And that's where bulk of the money is. And I really encourage consumer health firms to invest in new technologies, in proof of concepts, and really looking at how they can create a holistic experience for their consumers and shoppers, not just selling bottles and pills and liquids, but also look at what services and apps they can build around that. And some companies are doing that. I'm really proud of them. That's great advice. So um, moving on to categories and ingredients in particular, um, you mentioned, well, you, you alluded to, um, say, gut health and probiotics. That's a huge trend that we're seeing in HBW Insight. And we're writing a lot about probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics, you know, et cetera. That's a huge uh, market in itself. What are the ingredients that you're, um, you're looking at at the moment in terms of investment? So I, I think our, our consumers, um, our clients, when they come to us, they are looking at a range of ingredients, um, including some of the um, big ingredient providers like Lonza and DSM and others, and we work with them extensively. They're starting to look at you know, a lot of ingredients that either were existing in China, in India, or in some grandma remedies in Europe. They're starting to see how they can bring them to the forefront and really package them in a consumer health um, worthy packaging and bring it to consumers. So you've seen red rice yeast in China that is now trying to get global. You're starting to see a lot of different types of turmeric now in different refined forms. So there are massive opportunities in some of these spaces. Um, a lot of work still needs to be done in terms of clinical trials to prove the efficacy because a lot of the data that exists for these ingredients is still very uh, anecdotal and not been proven out like Western medicines with proper clinical trials and different phases of trials. So clearly more work is needed in that space. Um, 
unfortunately or fortunately large companies uh, or large consumer health players are not investing so much in this space but the smaller ones or the mid-tier ones are really more interested in that um, because they see the opportunity to create a differentiation and really get into a um, new area early on and be early adopters yes there's some risk with it as well but for large companies um, getting into new ingredients which are not proven yet is a reputational risk as well so they are hesitant to move forward in that and potentially if something works out and becomes really big they have deeper pockets to be able to buy out those assets and then integrate them into their portfolio so would you say this is more of um, a kind of process of bringing that uh, more wellness you know supplements herbal traditional kind of remedies uh, part of the of the market into uh, the consumer healthcare traditional side by building the science basically so that you know in the future you can make those health claims that currently you can't make so in the European Union for example yeah absolutely yeah you you can't um, classify products as novel foods and expect them to succeed you really have to have them as regulated food supplements with proper clinical trials proper studies at least real world evidence based claims um that type of action is required and investment is required for these products to be of interest and these ingredients to be of interest to large and mid-sized consumer health players. Till then, the risk is that only small entrepreneurs will play with these, sell them on digital platforms, um, not, not get to retail. And then some of these ingredients then die a slow death over time because the fad goes away. And just on, quickly on real world evidence. So uh, is that something that uh, regulators like uh, European Commission and, and EFSA, is that something that they're willing to work with then in terms of providing that really high level of evidence that they expect from from these kind of newer uh, ingredients? Yes, I mean, I think if we bring the data, but real world evidence alone would not be helpful for qualifying these new ingredients um, in the proper categories of food supplements and uh, OTC products. You need more than that. You need um, some clinical trials, some pivotal trials to be able to justify that. And at this point, I don't see the desire and the investment to be able to do that. And probably 23 might be a wrong year for that as well, because vitamins and supplements as a category is, is slightly declining compared to the previous two years, uh, especially for the reasons we talked earlier. So there could be a, not enough investment or interest at this point, but certainly new ingredients will keep coming to market with sort of helps helps type claims, you know, not definitive claims based on science saying, you know, improve things by 60% or reduce pain by 40%, but say helps live a better quality of life, helps you with your joints. So these types of claims you will keep seeing from smaller players and from entrepreneurs, but uh, bigger pivotal studies and investments is still some distance away. And if you had uh, the money to invest in a particular ingredient, I'm wondering what, what would you put your money behind right now? <laughs> now there's so many of them that you could look at, but um, but certainly I think it depends on the category that's important. Uh, if you are in dermatology, there's so many ingredients in the anti-aging space and the acne space that you can look at. If you are in cold and flu and sore throat, there are some other ingredients that companies are looking at. So multiple ingredients possible in wellness as well, lifestyle choices. There are ingredients as well that companies would be interested in. 
So yeah, um, certainly we can help companies identify ingredients and really help them sort of map out what's required for them to be successful in that space. That's great. All right. Well, thank you. Um, we've really gone into depth into a lot of these trends, and I think that would be really interesting to our uh, our, our listeners and readers. Uh, so really, thank you very much for taking the time. It's re- really been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, David. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.farmerintelligence.informer.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Farmer Intelligence Podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.